At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I want a world where, where a girl and a guy go to a bar and the other person says, I'm a writer. And it's not like, ugh, they don't make money. <laughs> I want a world where that's an attractive quality. Okay. <laughs> It's fun being you for a second. It is fun being me. I enjoy being I don't me. have to care about your emotions. I can just <laughs> say this and walk away and then not yeah. talk to you off the podcast. Just one time. Can we have a conversation? No. Okay. Nobody asked, but we're here to answer Hollywood problems. Welcome back to the Tudor Round Podcast. My name is Richard. My name is Austin. And of course, the best way to spend a podcast, a nice hour or two cozying up in your car, your bed, wherever you are at work, we're going to talk to unqualified visual individuals about a topic we know very little about. I would say almost nothing. <laughs> almost nothing, but I read the news sometimes. And for this podcast, I was like, I'll do a Google search here. I'll do a little yeah. Bingaroo. Uh, Bing, okay, I didn't use Bing yet, but they have a cool I AI feature. That, you I, I now, I un, unironically use Edge and Bing. And that's because of the new AI, AI stuff stop, they got yes. going on? Okay. But it act, I don't know how, but Bing actually got better. You do seem like a Bing guy. You've never said anything more hurtful than that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking writer strike today, what the book industry can solve in Hollywood. And also we're going to be discussing things about like books and not books, but about movies and shows. Are they getting worse? Answers, and yes, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. And then plenty of stuff about Sanderson's thoughts on the writer's strike and some of our thoughts and passions. And maybe, maybe we'll dabble a little bit, yeah. but it's going to be a free form, nice little flowing podcast. You ready oh, yeah. to get in the convo? Yep. And if you're interested in supporting us and maybe joining our exclusive discord book club down below, you can check out our Patreon, uh, supports us. It's a lot of fun. Talk with us on discord. All right, let's move on. Let's do this thing. So, writer strike. What do you know? What what newsworthy thing? What information does Rich have in his brain about what's going on here? Okay, from my understanding, I don't like where this is going already. From my understand, never start a sentence. <laughs> from my understanding, yeah, the writers have quite a bit to be pissed about of how the basically every union strikes because they're not getting enough money for the amount of work they do. That's the basic function of unions. It's the same here. Can hey, I, we want more money. Can I make us look smart and throw in a stat? Go ahead. I, I don't know if this is unusual in a vote, but the WGA, when they voted to strike or not, was 97.85% said, yes, we're going to strike. The Damn. other 2.15 said, what were they doing? I don't know. Apparently, they're... <laughs> Apparently, they're the only ones getting paid. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're having a good time. But it was a significant majority. Yeah, so 
the big difference now that I think the big push toward the strike, of course, inflation and just low, um, low rise in um, lo the low increase in. Uh, ugh, help me. What are you looking for? Income. The low increase in income. Yeah, just you couldn't find income. The word income. No, I'm I'm not even. Th it's the wrong word. Oh, oh. But by the way, it's the low increase of income and payments for in the industries across the board. So yeah. of course that's a thing. Uh -huh. However, for Hollywood specifically, writers used to get residual checks from uh, cable television. So if they wrote an episode of Friends, every time it aired, they got residual checks, which paid them well. <laughs> yeah. If the show was really good and popular and got a bunch of reruns, they got paid handsomely. With the introduction of streaming, that is basically whittled down to very little because there's not really clear numbers of how many times something is watched, what the revenue cut is from that. And so writers are getting screwed that way. And so they're not only getting less money up front, they're getting less money on the back end. And with episodes of TV shows that used to be a season of television would be like 24 episodes or something with network television. Mm. Now it's eight to 10. So sometimes six. Hour, yeah. Yeah. So less time there, less time, on, less money up front, less money on the back end. It's awful. So completely understand. Yeah. There's some other things in there like, wanting to promise that ai won't start writing scripts they want some confirmation yeah. there seeking higher pay but you got the big one the big one is that and every time there's an industry change or some disrupting technology the mm -hmm. writers need to strike because the first time i think this was the first time in the 1960s was when movies were starting to air on the tv then you had in the 70s the emerging market of cable there was another strike and then the most recent one in 08 was focused on online and now we have streaming so each time there's a disruption in the industry there's a change in how the writers are paid and they need to come. This is, this is a sign of what's been happening in the past. It's not new. It's just a new technology that has made the agreements between show creators and writers or, you know, not, not even the creators. What do you call them? The, the bit, the suit, the producers, the suit people, the people in suits, yes. the, the higher ups, the, the lizard, the lizard men. We, we talk, we're trying to talk bad about them, but we want to be them. You know, we, exactly. we, we want to show That's up at the American way. <laughs> let's show up next pod with suits on. We, we could have planned better we could. than that. That yeah, would be fun. Could be. One of us One could have played a role. Ah, okay. But the, <laughs> yeah, so that there's a reason for the strike. And what would you say, based on all those reasons for striking, is the most profound one? Would it be the, the fact that streaming is not paying them residuals like it used to do in syndication? I think so. I, mean, I think it's that with a combination of TV shows are now getting less episodes, which just means they're working less, so they're getting paid less. Mm. So instead where they if they're on a tv show and there's 24 episodes for for that season yeah. they can work on that one show for the whole year and that's fine they're they have 24 episodes of writing they're getting paid well and mm -hmm. then of course the residuals afterward it's all great they're only getting one season of television and it's eight episodes long and then they, they're going to need to get another job after that. They need to get another television show. If they don't get hired on for another television show in that year, they're out of money. Mm. <laughs> so there's some issues with shortening seasons of television. What would you say the answer to the person that says, well, the writers, they've been writing crap recently. I sympathize with that position because my gut reaction when the whole writer strike happened, yeah. my first thought was, good. It sucked anyway. I don't care. Like, oh, no. 
Hollywood writers are stopping writing. Oh, whatever are we going to do? Like, oh, man, She-Hulk season two is going to be put on hold. Oh, no. So that was your gut reaction? <laughs> That's my gut reaction because it sucks. It, it's not good. However, if you look at it, I have sympathy for the Hollywood writers. They, they're getting handed a shit deal. And something Sanderson said on their podcast, Intentionally Blank About It, was the more he's been getting some deals, not, not a confirmed deal, but his books are being talked about and looked at, and they're making deals with Hollywood right now. Mm-hmm. And he says the further he's gotten involved in Hollywood, the less he blames the writers. Which comes to the a big mm. point of this discussion is how much is to blame on writers for bad shows? Or is it the way that Hollywood inherently sets up movie making and filmmaking and show making? That's mm-hmm. something we got to pinpoint on. That was actually the thought for this whole podcast. Yeah. My, I was reading some information on how writing has changed mm-hmm. in Hollywood, where it used to be writers would actually be kind of involved with the whole production process they would be on set they would see the actors they would have time with actually seeing it being filmed which Mm. means that they can see how do the actors react what's their personality i wrote something but how is it actually being presented yeah before next episode and you have so much longer with a seat a 24 episode season that you can make adjustments versus you're writing a episode to television you write it, you never, they're not going onto the TV set anymore. So they're, they don't get to see the actors and how they perform it, how it's actually being presented. They don't get to see the, get insight on how do you film something? What can you use? How do you use film to actually get across a point without actually saying something, which mm. is important to have. And now, because of COVID, it was a big push of it where all the writing teams would just go into a Zoom call. And that's where they wrote. They, there was no getting everyone together. And so now it's so divorced from the actual production of the thing. No wonder there's a confusion from in their mind to what they're writing about to the actual end result. Yeah. The smaller scale of what a book is, uh, is you, of course, have the writer, the author, write something, they have an idea in their head, they're putting it on the page. And then it goes through an editor. And the editor basically is the in-between, making sure that the author's ideas are being properly presented to the audience, and the audience understands what's in the author's head. Because if an author reads their own book, they're looking at it go, I completely understand this, because it's in their own head. And so you need that level of a, a, a little filter. With A second Hollywood. eye. A yeah. third eye, yeah. With Hollywood, there's so many filters between the writer and the end result that it just becomes so opaque. Because of that, do you think that movies and shows are getting worse? Yes. 100%. On, so. on a totality level, yes. I, I don't even think that's like controversial statement. Like, there's still good movies and television show being made. It's can just I, less free. Can I be you for one second and be yeah. a contrarian dick? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I, I like playing this. It's fun being you for a second. It is fun being me. I enjoy being I don't me. have to care about your emotions. I can just <laughs> say this and walk away and then not yeah. talk to you off the podcast. Just one time. Can we have a conversation? No. Okay. You so get, You get this time. This is, I really enjoy this time together. It, it means a lot to me. It's the only time you're going to get. Thanks. <laughs> so I'm going to make two statements. All right. 
Both of them are probably wrong. Probably. You because it's not coming out of my mouth. You, you, could, you could have been nice. I was, I was trying to be... What? Okay. <laughs> so, our, I, there's a quantity of shows, of course, have drastically increased. Mm-hmm. And the quantity of films have drastically increased with the industry expanding and more people, more the, richer country. All of this has increased. Now, I think there's a bit... And trust me, there's a lot of recent shows I think are awful. Awful. And we'll talk about those. I think there's a bit of a survivorship bias with films and movies. So the only good ones we kind of look back at fondly are the ones that stuck around, the ones your parents passed down, the ones that were critically acclaimed. When you go to watch an 80, a film from 1982, you'll watch like the top two or three films that came out that year because that's what lasted when a lot of crap movies and crap shows were probably made. So I, my contrarian opinion is that is, yes, there's a larger quantity of bad shows just because there's more shows around. But I think you look back at you know, 10 from years from now, what movies and shows will survive today. There's still some real high-quality stuff coming out. Uh, and it, plenty, plenty of films that I would have never watched that watching this podcast, or doing this, not watching the podcast. I, I do watch the podcast after, and I look like, what, how, how, do, how, I how, can, I, how <laughs> can I not make Rich angry again? <laughs> what, what do I do? It's like a lot of nerves, you know, just to make yeah. sure I don't screw up again. But I think there's a bit of survivorship bias with it that maybe 20 years from now we'll look back at these days fondly of the things we remember we're nostalgic about that's not to say that there's bad shows right now but what do you think about that there there is an element to that yeah. however you can look back in time and see that there were some slow decades <laughs> there were some bad decades of film where it's like man not like maybe one good <laughs> film out of that whole decade like so it's not like every, every decade is the same no no it's not the case so Yes, in time, we'll only remember the good stuff, yeah. but how much good stuff will actually be around? And so that it's just that level of quality. So I think like, the 90s had some pretty good stuff. It had some campy Excellent. stuff, but pretty good. Pretty good film, decade. Like, But you look at the 70s, not so good. I not thought, the best. I thought the 80s was the more trash decade for uh, films. They do, but they have some good fun camp that yeah, I like the 80s. Yeah, so, I think yeah. the, common, the common two that people talk about is like the 60s. And then the 80s. Okay. Those are the two like kind of slow decades of film. Uh, okay. We might have the wrong opinion. I thought the 60s were also well known as like a great decade. Maybe we, I'm you, wrong. Again, unqualified people talking exactly. about stuff. I would love to hear what you guys think down below. Actually, comment what your favorite decade of film was. That, that could be a fun comment. I beat you to it. Usually you're the one that says <laughs> comment down below. Do it for me, please. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> I, I got that out there. So... Yet, I don't think it's a blossoming time right now. Like we're creating bangers yeah. every year. But let's since we're in the fantasy realm and sci-fi realm and mm-hmm. books, something we specifically need to talk about are the terrible fantasy sci-fi adaptations recently. True. Rings of Power, Wheel of Time, The Witcher. The list is endless. Now look back in time. There's also awful ones like Aragon, Hello. the l- yeah. Last Airbender movie, and th- so there's plenty of happened. But looking at these shows that are being produced and just even if they're financially successful, you look at the fandom, you look at people that like the show, they are not loved. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Let's get to the crux of it. Let's let's podcast together. Well, off the bat, there are some books that probably just shouldn't be made into movies or television shows. Would you say any of those are the case? Rings of Power, Wheel of Time, Witcher? TV shows is better. And I think all of them could have been made better where it would have been acceptable by the fans. Okay. But ultimately, there is a quality of, with fantasy, um, with fantasy and sci-fi books, I'd say leaning on fantasy there is so much depth to the characters. You have so much time with them, the characters in the world, 
that it makes it feel more real. And you need that time. If if you're making a TV show about it, you have no time to waste. You need every second to further develop your characters and world. And if you're wasting time, it's you're going to make a crap show. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Game of Thrones, the first several seasons, I don't think they wasted a lot of time. Like, every scene was important to the characters in the world, and that's what made it successful. Versus you know, a network television show, like, standard TV, you can waste time. There are filler episodes. There's, like, you don't need to go hard on the paint every single minute of the show. Mm. So I think it's much harder to do an adaptation of a fantasy genre just because you have so much that you have to pack into such a small uh, a small medium. Can... I, I want to throw out this topic. Hmm. I think I have a commonality between all these, why these shows fail and why the books succeed. I think the plain answer is passion. It's a very, fl- a very, what? I just tossed out a very vague word of, oh, passion, that's the solution to everything. I really do think passion is a, the first step to the solution because there's a lot to talk about why Hollywood's failing in a lot of regards to some things and why we think books are generally more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But think about all your favorite movies or favorite adaptations specifically. Lord of the Rings trilogy, of course. Peter Jackson and the people behind that loved the source material, had their heart behind it, was his dream to do. I think he wanted to do The Hobbit at first, just wanted to work on these films so badly and admired them, had heart. It was his thing to produce. And look at, I would even go as far to say D&D, David Benioff, D.B. Weiss for Game of Thrones, the reason Game of Thrones was so amazing, they read the books, met George R. R. Martin, and pitched, this is why we have to show your books to these people. Now, of course, they failed when they had no nothing else to... They're, they're great adapters, but not great writers and making new material. To, to your point, yes. around the time that they Game of, Game of Thrones started sucking yeah. is also when they were beginning approached and they wanted to do a Disney project. They wanted to go to Disney and they're going, oh, we're ending yeah. uh, season eight early because yeah. we want to move on to Star Wars. Right. So their passion was probably diminished by that point. I just want to say something. First time this has happened in the podcast where you said, to your point, you, you yeah. said, you were, you kind of added that on. To your point. This is phenomenal. Okay, I'll <laughs> keep going then because I, I also looked into this just a, an example to look at. Now, you could look at the endless, there's an endless number of movies and adaptations. I said, what's a movie I also love that was an adaptation? No Country for Old Men. Yeah. I looked into that real quickly. The Coen brothers read several of M- Cormac McCarthy's books, and the person who bought the rights to it, Scott Rubin, I believe his name was, big fan of them. They wanted to adapt it for the screen so people could also share this love of the books they had for them. So mm-hmm. every single time an adaptation just works, the creators, the writers, the directors, want to work on this project, just like why I think books are generally always more successful. You have to be passionate to write a book. Sure, you have your romances, your typical thrillers that you might just be pumping out like episode or, you know, book number seven, eight. There's those, of course. But for you to sit down and write a fantasy book, pick anything off the wall. You actually have to be passionate because you are the only one. You're the only one. That's your baby. Mm-hmm. You are writing that for the next several months to a year to a decade for someone like George or Patrick. But you are, that's your thing. That's your thing. So you have to have heart behind it. So then when you get into Hollywood and you get these people that are more distant from it, and I'll use the examples of the bad adaptations, Rings of Power, the creators several times would make just go straight off of Tolkien's lore because they took a more, 
they they took liberties with it because I don't think they respected the source material as as much, and they just th wanted some like something different. We don't like this. We want to do it another way. Where the, you to add to your point again? Oh yes, do it, baby. Peter Jackson did change some things, but it's more of hey, I need to change it because the medium won't allow it. Oh yeah. So I need to. How do I alter this slightly to make sure that this fits in this medium? Versus, I would say with uh. Raph, uh, whatever that guy, director, the producer of Wheel of Time, he made a lot of changes that just did not need to be made. It was not a medium problem. It wasn't like, oh, a TV show, like, images won't work. So there's, for example, yeah, um, this is not really spoilers for Wheel of Time. This is just more imaging. So in the Wheel of Time, the Aes Sedai are described a certain way of agelessness. Yeah. Which works on, you kind of have an image in your head. But how does that work on the screen? Mm. How do you exactly show agelessness where it's like they have very kind of tight skin, but they look old, but they could also be young that like you could guess like they're either 20 or they're 50. Basically, you don't know. Basically, but, how we meant like a bald man in his 60s is, yeah. is ageless. You have ageless. no clue. That guy could be 27 or <laughs> 85. But see, that's a medium problem. Yeah. Like I completely understand if rep changes the source material going like, hey, look, the Aes Sedai are not going to be like completely ageless mm -hmm. in the television show because we can't present that well right. because we actually have to show people. That's a change for the medium's sake. Adding a completely new character and just doing a whole other storyline that wasn't in the books takes up valuable time right. and ultimately goes nowhere. Th that is like you didn't need to do that. That's not for the sake of the medium. You love this example too. Saying mm. the the Witcher writers literally said they hate the the source material. Isn't that the yeah. case? Yeah, so you're leaks back from, up on that. Because... Yeah, leaks from one of the writers from the Witcher who left the project, basically saying like the writers on staff were openly mocking the source material and saying that they hated it. Which that's why that's going to show in the actual show you create. It's yeah. a, um, imagine this as a viewer. Uh, think of a movie or a book as like a, a two-hour marriage. If you're going into this, opening up your heart and your emotions and wanting to care about something, but the other party, your spouse, comes in there not caring and not giving the effort, and this, is, this isn't something they care about, it's a one-sided relationship. You're going to show all this effort to try to care, and then the product itself, the, the person you're bonding with, isn't meeting you halfway. I, so I, you feel cheated. I really like that analogy. I'm on fire today, baby. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a three for three with Richie. Yes, let's go. So it, it's it's something that you're committing your time to and you don't want it to feel wasted. You also want to feel like the yeah. other half did their part. And I will even go as far to say this. Hmm. There, there are times where this doesn't work. Like George Lucas with the prequels. Yeah. So he had this heart into it and you could see, you could see that come through. I will still defend it to say, look at the prequels versus the sequels. Both they, not good. No, the prequels are not good. I won't defend them, especially Attack on the Clones. But you look back at it, and you could at least see there's a, passion. There's pa he was going for something completely missed, <laughs> a lot of bad stuff. But there was heart there, mm -hmm. and th that's more endearing and makes me look back at that more fondly than some Hollywood blockbuster, penniless or penny grabbing. Money grabbing, endless lizard man, lizard money, yeah, lizard man. There's we'll, we'll lizards in suits. Yeah, will never get my respect. It's just that is the bottom line. Well, George uh, George Lucas specifically shows the importance of an editor. 
It's an editor process. So yeah. I don't think a creative can solely produce a work. Like just on their own, there is a degree of separation between their mind and getting their ideas and their imagination into the heads of someone else. Mm. You can't do it alone. Book writers, sometimes once in a blue moon, they can write a book, no editor, they edit themselves, and it's great. Yeah. Most of the time, Robert Jordan talked about this, how uh, his wife was his editor, and it was drastically important because when an author is writing something and they think, oh, yeah, that's real clear. I know exactly what this means. I'm foreshadowing that. Mm -hmm. And then the editor comes across like, yeah, that wasn't clear at all. And so you have to change some things. Right. Same thing uh, George Lucas went through the whole process of he would has his ideas, but then he, he, you know, his wife comes in and goes, uh, you need to change things. That was not clear at all. Right. <laughs> Add a scene or subtract a scene or that's pointless. Get he, rid of that. Robert Jordan knows what he's writing in his head, but if that's not conveyed, that has exactly. to be addressed. Yeah. So that one layer is very important. That that layer between the artist and then the audience, that editor to through between. You add too many of those, which is Hollywood, which is mm. the writers that go through the producers that go through the actors that go through through the board meetings that say, you need to add this. When or, it goes all the way to the top of th these people who are so removed and just are looking at it from a business standpoint. Where hey, we, we need to money. add we need to add this scene in China yeah. so we get uh, the Chinese market. Like right. China won't allow us to actually stream the movie there unless we have some action scene in, uh, you know, in China specifically. We need to have an actor there. We Whatever. Like, like Top Gun Maverick couldn't have the Thailand flag or sorry, Thai Taiwanese flag or something like uh, like I remember that yeah. being a case where they kept it in and yeah. it couldn't be streamed in well, China. That was originally on the Mavericks patch was Taiwan Taiwan flag on his yeah. jacket and China wanted that edited out and they kept it, which means it's not allowed to be aired in China, mm -hmm. but it did so great in everywhere else that right. it was a success. Right. So do you see that this pattern of passion? And when it comes to a writer in a show, it's not just all down to them. There needs to be, there's so much red tape that it has to go through. And what Branderson said, Branderson, what Brandon Sanderson said on his pod talking about it is that it's not just down to the writers. Yes, they're very important and need to be more involved. I mean, giving writers higher pay and more incentive and caring about product projects will produce and better quality shows, mm -hmm. but it needs to go all all up the line to all the red tape in Hollywood, which is why books, generally speaking, have a better structure. And of course, this is us being, books are a lot easier in quotes, I'll say, to make a lot less people need to be involved. So it's kind of a product of the industry in Hollywood that you need yeah. to have that many people involved. Hollywood, to make a movie or television show, ultimately it just requires more of the people than it does to require to make a book. However, I think Hollywood's ultimate solution here is to shrink the circle. You need to decrease the number of people on a project. So decrease the number of writers De and pay well, can, the writers I jump, well. I got to jump in there, though. Decrease the number. Producers, decrease the influence of board executives kind of having in on it. And in addition to that, decrease the budgets of these movies and television shows. On that first point, though, the, the writer strikes one of the intent here is to increase the number of writers on projects because especially before being greenlit, they want one writer per episode up to six episodes. Then additional writer is required for each two episodes until hitting a max of 12 writers. And also on top of that, having four writer producers. Now, for, that, now from the- That sounds fine to me. Okay. I, I'm... At Parker, our purpose is simple. 
We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters. Because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mainly talking about the number of cooks in the kitchen. If the writers are kind of stepping on each other's toes, fine. If it isn't, Okay, it's a different writing process. Okay, I follow that. So, yeah, when it comes to the decision-making process, then, do you think it's more important to have one person kind of making the decisions with being open-minded and listening to others that cares about the project? Or having, what, if you have five, six, a boardroom of people that are removed from it, what's the best solution? How do you get something Well, make an impact? I will say my my favorite quote that I kind of want on a t-shirt. But can is, I say it with you? Because you say yes. it's all like, okay, three, two, one. Democracy, Democracy is cringe. cringe. Yes. <laughs> That's the solution. You say it all the time. <laughs> and you only say it when we're all deciding to go somewhere, like as yes. roommates. Like, let's do this. And you say, Democracy is cringe. We're going here. It's just a way for you to decide for us, Okay. Hey, I'll be honest, I'm consistent. Whenever someone else in the house makes an executive decision, I respect that. You say I, I respect when they go like democracy is terrible. We're going here. I'm going like, you know what? I don't want to go there, but I respect the authority. Rich, you look at it and you're like, I like hierarchies. Hierarchies are, just, okay. I, I will be the leader one day, the follower the next. I'm okay with that. That's yes, exactly. I, I don't like committee meetings. It's <laughs> no. it's annoying as hell. Like either take charge and tell me what to do. Or I will take charge and tell you what to do. One or the other. I hate it's, the... It's actually uh, really effective because then we're like, all right, we're deciding. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> That's my personal thought. It, But yeah. Where, where was that train of thought from? Oh, God. Where were we? How did we get there? It was something about, oh, deciding multiple people, one person. Yeah. Committee, yeah. movie or TV show made by committee or by a singular yeah. individual. And, I agree. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Singular individual is probably best. Now, the only way you could really do that is decrease the amount of money going mm. into Hollywood. So these productions 
these productions that require like 200 300 million dollars mm. no more of those like or either if you're gonna do it rare like those need to be rare they can't be like the majority of like dry-aged rare you're not yes <laughs> you're not we'll call back to another episode <laughs> yeah you're not gonna make your money back on those movies unless okay. it's like the biggest movie of the year maybe mm. so make more 50 million dollar movies make more 10 million dollar movies and you have a smaller team of people working on it less money means less risk and if it make if a 50 million dollar movie makes 150 million dollars a success if a 100 million dollar movie makes 150 million dollars failure <laughs> cuz the marketing budget is like uh, you just need to decrease the amount of money you're spending on these movies, which I think is probably the folk with Hollywood focusing on the spectacle aspect of it. And it used to be the case that spectacle got people into the theater. So with Avatar, mm. like no one saw the first Avatar movie because they were so it like so invested in Jake the, the Sully. What was just it's brilliant. No, no one cared. I no one cared about I, Jake Sully. I still don't get it. There's a Reddit post I saw of this person who was deeply inspired by Jake Sully. Whoever you are, who are you? You're you're an enigma. But How? no one cares about that. They cared about the 3D, the spectacle of it, and yeah. that typically has been driving Hollywood. Of mm. cutless, uh, first with um, you know color, color movies. That was a big spectacle. You go into all the CGI with Jurassic Park, and you go with all the Star Wars movies. Like, spectacle has driven it. But we're at a point in technology-wise that the spectacle's there. Like, there's not much higher you can go. Like, mm. yeah, there are improvements, but it's not drastic. That the more drastic improvements in a spectacle type is more in technique rather than just pure, like, technological marvel. It's more like a Spider-Verse stuff where that is a change in technique. And, mm. ooh, I haven't seen it that way before. Spider-Verse didn't cost a bunch of money. It's not like the it's not like they paid a bunch of money to create a new CGI uh, technology just to make it. No. They <laughs> did was, innovate in an incredible way. That yeah, they innovated awesome. in technique rather than technology. And so that would probably be the right direction for Hollywood to go down. Instead of keep trying to put money into the technology and innovate the tech, innovate the technique. And you don't, I like that on. saying instead of the tech, innovate the technique. There we go. Oh, that's yeah. another good rich saying. I like that. <laughs> would, would you yeah. say that's why studios like a 24 have been so successful lately? Oh, or yeah. some of my favorite movies in recent years have been from a 24. Well, they're also cheaper. They're, they're vastly cheaper. And what's the commonality between all of them with, I think this is what A24 does, is gives the such creative control to the people wanting to make these projects. They give a certain allocation of money to people who want to make like everything ever all at once, after Sun, uh, Uncut Gems, these really cool passion projects that you could see their heart in. The person who made this wanted to make this. It's also a uh, creator-owned studio, so they have okay. So the shares of that company are, are owned by the directors, and like you can, I, I don't think it is exactly a co-op, but it's like a co-op. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't think it's the exact same, but it's very similar. So, so it's you, not this yeah big uh you know company on the stock market. It isn't right. that like that kind of business? You know more than me on that. Do you, but do you think that a twenty four is the solution to the big Hollywood bosses in there? No, not completely. Okay, go on that. 
the big Hollywood bosses, you kind of ha- do have to have a mix of those big blockbuster movies. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you need to make money. They want to make money. Well, they want to make those billion-dollar movies. Yeah. The main thing is you just can't do it that often. They got into the habit with superhero movies where they yeah. just make a superhero movie, and it's probably going to make close to a billion, no matter how hard they Just try. for having Marvel on. Yeah. yeah, and that's not the case anymore. So you just have yeah. to reduce the numbers you're like stop trying to go for the billion dollar movie every time quality control it yeah so save some of your money instead of making five three hundred million dollar movies make two (laughs) it's in defense of the suits for for a second now i gotta wear a suit next time i really do (laughs) but i'm looking at the pattern of let's say i invested in the stock market Mm -hmm. and literally every year my money doubled by investing in the same company yeah, for decades, just invested, and I got two hundred percent returns constantly. So I can see from their perspective of, oh, another superhero movie, another Star Wars movie, another X Y Z with a big big name here. Of course, just do this, and what we'll, what we've been doing for a decade's been working and making money. Who cares mm-hmm. if it's controversial? And the fans don't like it. It's still when you look at the actual dollars, it makes a crap ton. Yeah. So why not continue doing that? So what incentive is there to change? Hopefully now there's an incentive, one, with the writer's strike, and two, with how much films have been flopping lately. Yeah. Oof. Flopping. The fact that Pixar's been I was just flop- going to say, oh, Pixar's God. been that's flopping. A, that's a tragedy. Like, Pixar is one of those things that, it, all my life, Pixar has always got a home run. Every time they come out, it's a spectacle. When Pixar makes a movie, it's going to be good. Wally. It was a guarantee. Up. God, and now it sucks. Like I haven't maybe seen one of them are okay, mm. but I can't remember the last like really good one. Maybe um Coco was great. Coco. Oh my sure. god, yeah, Coco. Soul, I hear is good. I haven't seen I Soul. heard I haven't heard a lot of like big praise for it, but But this seems to be a pattern now where mm-hmm. a lot of big movies are starting to flop. And I don't think that's a sign that theaters are going anywhere though. No. I think theaters will still be around. There's there's something that theaters bring that ultimately your home theater setup is not going to give you. And I don't think that's going to That's being distant from me? Yeah. I get to be in a dark room watching the mm-hmm. theater, and it's dark enough that I don't see you. Why do you invite me to those? Oh, mainly because it's. I think I force you into I get the tickets, and then I say, hey, we're going here. Yeah, you normally see it on, like, like when I buy a ticket, you'll see that, and you're like, oh, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> just sneak myself in. <laughs> We're creating a new persona this time where I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I like the direction this is going. Yeah. I I think that now, what was would your answer be hmm. to the what should the writer strike get out of this? What should Hollywood do to change? Have we been beating around the bush a bit? Have, have you think we've been on point with a lot of this? For the most part, I think the the uh, the actual union is asking for kind of the right stuff, but. I want to ask you, do you think they're asking for anything that's unreasonable? Ooh. Now, like what? Because everyone knows. That's a good question. The, the art of the deal. I don't know. The uh, You got to ask for more than what you're actually willing to settle for. Uh. You don't ask for what you want. You ask for more than what you want. And then you go back down a little bit. I Okay. What, what do you think is the ho- the Hollywood writer's strike? What, what are the writers asking for that's too much that they're going to negotiate down to? Great question. I'd say one thing that I don't know the specifics of it. Hmm. What, so having the quota for the amount of writers 
that you need on certain projects. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's, so they have a kind of per episode deal and I, I don't know the exact specifics of it, but I'd see it depends on the show. I would see there needs to be more flexibility there of some shows could require less writers. Some could require more. I think it depends on the show because I don't see all like an intense drama being the same as a sitcom being the same as a Roman. They're just inherently different. There's some projects that take longer or take shorter. Maybe they thought of that and that's in one of the deals, but I'd see that needs the most tweaking because how do you really set a quota across the board? Because once you do that for all things, I could see there being differences amongst, okay, we're having a problem here because the X, Y, Z. And the reason they're doing it is because mm -hmm. of being overworked. Uh, and so you need enough writers so that there's not overworking and underpay. Maybe that's the one that will change the most going forward. I guess. I, I'm wondering if they're going to back down on any of the AI stuff. So oh. these different productions asked. So one, it's a little freaky, like Black Mirror stuff. With yeah. What's the guarantee that a writer will write a season of television? And then next season, the company just makes an AI chat, use the previous season's writers, all their stuff, and then just rewrite a second season with that. Mm -hmm. Or the more likely scenario of producers and Hollywood using AI to write a rough outline of a show and to get most of the bare bare bones of it and then hire a writer to come in for way less time and way less money to just touch it up and fix it now do you think that ai can more easily replace screenwriters than authors because if there's an if there's a next writer to go depends on the like could ai write an episode of friends yes of course it All right, could. Let's calm down for a second. Friends is a great show. It's a funny, but you got to admit, show. it's formulaic. Like sitcoms, yeah. in in of itself, is formulaic, which is what AI is great at: picking up a formula and repeating. Mm -hmm. That's what it would go for. Oh, I could AI you so easily. Yeah, probably. It just goes no. I just I disagree. No. Yeah. That you're wrong. Well, I mean. I am closer to the computer because I'm always right. That's right. Yeah, you're mathematical about your opinions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm objective. <laughs> and so the AI issue with the writer strike, you see that the not the producer, the, the Hollywood side isn't going to want that agreement. I don't think they're going to let that go. There, there's too much in Hollywood using. So when an extra comes on on stage, they have to sign away their likeness to the producers so basically when they're taking pictures if they want to use that extra's face in another project they basically can at no cost and there's some kind of shady stuff with that or if an actor's dead they get to scan their face and they'll put them up in with technology they'll basically put a dead actor <laughs> in, a, in a new project you know, you know why our podcast sucks? I don't know. You know why it sucks really why? bad? Why does it suck? Because what I'm about to say, everyone has to just fact check this, check this, because I'm not 100% certain this is the case. Hmm. Take this with a grain of salt. But I think that Hollywood side sent to the writers one of their, they're coming to an agreement. And one of the things in the stipulations was we will, we will have safeguards against AI taking your jobs. That's what I was that getting. Was right. Okay. You did see that. I know. Yeah. That, I was okay. wondering, is, are the writers going to back off a bit on that? Okay. Do you think that is... To the writers, is that as important as just you know getting something else, increase in pay and better security, better job security? Okay, are those equivalent? I could see the writers today not caring as much about it because it might be a future mm -hmm. problem to have, and maybe that's when the next writer strike will be when the AI starts taking 
jobs if they start taking jobs. Yeah. But also, writers in and of itself, I think, is one of the least expensive parts about creating a movie or television show what do you think about it being the least expensive when it's the most important it's the most important and i think it is the least expensive so like is there any more important job when it comes to making a film or show are you saving that much money going to ai like creating a new ai model for your television show rather than just pay the writers i want a world where where a girl and a guy go to a bar and the other person says, I'm a writer, and it's not like, oh, they don't make money. <laughs> I want a world where that's an attractive quality. Okay? Yeah. Let's let's agree on that, right? I, I would like that world. I would like a world where writers could actually yeah. make money. Yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> I, I would think the app not not the average author or screenwriter, but authors in general, since they're it's kind of their baby as well, definitely make more probably on par than successful writers in Hollywood. Would you say is the case? Mm. I, I guess I'm thinking more the adaptation types because when you get to really big authors, you're obviously you're J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter, you're George R. R. Martin. They, they make bank. Well, you want to talk about issues in uh, books, in the book industry. I actually and, don't, no. No, well, okay. Oh, okay, go, go ahead anyways. <laughs> well, no, there's a big problem with indie authors and Amazon. Yeah. So Amazon's monopoly on basically the ebook market. They don't have a monopoly, but it's effective. <laughs> it's it's mm. a plurality of the market that they have, and it's a very sizable influence. Now, that along with the more sizable Audible uh, influence that they have, so the deals that they have where they're taking 70% if, you, if you're not exclusive with Audible, they're taking 70% of the audiobook yeah. revenue versus, hey, you're exclusive with us. We're only going to take 60%. <laughs> Like, that's awful. And then authors, like, they're taking that high of a cut where I think indie authors have I think it's even 75%. Real, I think like you're that. right. Yeah. You, but indie authors have such a hard time actually making money off of that because of all the overhead costs they have to pay to basically Amazon. Amazon's taking the profit way before the author ever gets to see a cent. Sanderson and Dan Wills on their podcast talked exactly about this, where when they were talking about the writer's strike, they asked themselves... Can authors ever successfully strike against publishers? What would it would you be think? hard. They, they had the same conclusion of it's very difficult. The longevity of books, like the amount of books that is different. When a TV show drops, you kind of have like an, a certain amount of time that it takes up in the gear. So a show that maybe comes out every week, let's say there's eight episodes, that's eight weeks of ad revenue like it's it's a sizable time that is going to be missed mm. versus if a book drops in august or drops in december <laughs> that kind of happens anywhere books get pushed yeah. back all the time but also books have that longevity of a book can be out three years four years okay if right. you're reading a you series pick it up yeah exactly you're still with the they community. have legs. yeah yeah if you're late to a television show by two months you're you're gone you're so far behind versus books like you have a lot of time to catch well up. people do do that they binge watch shows it's yeah yeah so but there is a difference like i think you could realistically no new books be released in one whole year and things would pr move pretty well like, I don't think there would be a huge disruption. That's exactly what they said and got to the point of, let's talk about Sanderson and Dan Wells, said, when you stop writing and the writers aren't there, 
there's a significant portion of people who aren't employed anymore. Like you, you don't have the costume designers, the, why could I only think of one job? The editors, the uh, the audio the technicians, technicians, the lighting, yeah. all the people involved in making a film and a show. There's so many people, and you need the writers to make that happen. Whereas mm -hmm. with a book, if an author doesn't do it and goes on the line, the the editor, et cetera, all those people will still have jobs. They'll still there's there's still gonna editor be, maybe not as much, but uh, there's still going to be another author or other books out there. It's not like they have the and the say all be all because when a, a film gets passed or when a film or a show is greenlit. Those are the jobs available. There's a Hollywood writer has more proportional influence on the project than a single author in the literary world. Precisely. And I said precisely because you said that so well that I had to say something. Thank you. The biggest word I had in mind was precisely. Yeah. Could you think of a bigger word? Uh, sanctimonious. That means precisely is what I was going to but that doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you're that we're just not. I was making a jab at you. Oh, but oh, okay, <laughs> okay. But that that is the case. That is the case. Authors have less control in disrupting the actual flow of what happens with books, which yeah. is why I think it was so great that Sanderson made that announcement that he was going off Audible for his secret projects. Yeah, I don't think literary authors can strike in a way. They can just go their own way. They have to build up their own platform and then offer something more than what the current industry offers, which is what Sanderson did. He didn't just say, hey, my books are not on Audible. He had his own platform. He went to um, Kickstarter instead mm -hmm. of the traditional route and then saying, hey, I'm not just offering books. I'm offering merch that kind of goes along with that. Yes. Book. It is something you can't get at the stand. Like, I couldn't get that experience off of his site i couldn't get that at amazon right i mean i guess i could order a book go on amazon.com and order just a grab bag of junk uh, that's kind of related to the book i could do that it's not as fun though i'm sure there's someone out there that's selling sanderson stuff on amazon that prop not much though i've looked oh I, yeah well yeah everyone in our house reads sanderson yeah so like that's the that's one of the things to get people yes birthdays yes. Christmas. Yeah, yeah. They don't sell a lot. I think it's pretty exclusive. The, it was a good deal buying the whole mystery boxes and yeah. the yeah. I'm happy with my money. Yeah. It's fun every month to get a cool box of stuff. Oh yeah. I like just random stuff in the month. <laughs> <laughs> so Sanderson, this this is a maybe a big author like Sanderson or a big author in the industry has more of a disruption they can cause. So yeah. not necessarily a strike, but they make a statement and start to shift where people's eyes are, that could make a statement. Yeah, it Maybe. could. I, there's a general problem with what do a small percentage of people care about yep. versus the general audience. Like My personal problem with Audible is not something the general audience has a problem with. I have a big problem with DRM-locked material. Mm. It bothers me immensely. It's one of the reasons I don't particularly love streaming music. Like stream music's great and all. You get to the benefits is you get to listen to a bunch of songs. You don't have to buy everything. It's cost effective and you get to try a bunch of stuff. However, I want to own the stuff. You want to download it. Exactly. Or with Kindle. It's DRM product. So if I buy a book on Kindle and I want to read it on my computer through some other app or I want to read it on my Supernote that I have, can't do it. 
can't I can't unlock I have to use Amazon's product to do it. And ultimately, what they can do is behind my back change the book, which is what they did with The Martian. The Martian had some exclusive content at the end of it, which was some short stories. And then they just changed that. They removed it. Author didn't even know where those short stories went. And so yet No, that's unacceptable. If I bought something, it's mine. You don't get to change that. I hate that so much. So when I buy an audiobook, I like going to Libro.fm because I can download the actual MP3 files, DRM-free. I can listen to it on any product I want, and I own it. No one's going to change. That sounded like an ad, but it wasn't. It's not an ad, but I <laughs> like the product. <laughs> you, you led that whole five-inch film. That's why I go to Libro.fm. Check out our code. <laughs> it is not sponsored, but that's what I use. Oh, I'm going to wait. What's today? Okay, I got like five days to get us a sponsor with yeah, Libro. <laughs> Shit. Okay, I'm I need saying, to make some emails. Their product is like on their app. Their app is just as good as Audible in terms of actually using. The only thing with it is do they have all the same books Audible does? No, because Audible has the exclusive stuff, which lasts like, between, I think it's in like 90 days at most. Okay. It's normally exclusive. So maybe I'm 90 days late to getting a book on Libro.fm. I personally don't care. Right. That doesn't matter too much right. to me. But so that is the, that is the con to it. If you use that, you're not going to have as big of a library to choose from as Audible. But other than that, the app itself works just as well. And I get to actually own my book. No one can, I can put it on my iPod classic, which is what I wanted. If we manage to get a sponsorship within the next couple days, here's the code right here. (laughs) (laughs) If I pull off the magic, just use this code to get whatever percent off. Austin here, quick ad break. We actually did it. Well, kind of. We have two links in the description below. The first one is just an affiliate link if anyone wants to get an audiobook from Libro.fm. It helps us out and gives us a percentage of that, but we have a cool offer for the second link in the description. For those of you who want a membership, Libro.fm is offering two free audiobook credits worth $15 a piece with your first month of membership. It costs $15 a month, and that gets you an additional audiobook credit every single time, and you can spend it on any audiobook you want on their site. As a cool bonus, each of your payments supports a local bookstore and members also receive 30% off when buying books a la carte. A la carte, that's that's French. Plus, even if you end up regretting your decision to get a membership, just like you regret listening to this entire podcast, you can cancel your membership on Libro.fm anytime. But you can't take back the time you spent listening to this, so sorry about that. All right, bye. (laughs) You're stressing me out, dude. (laughs) I'm I'm creating avenues, bro. Yeah, you're forcing us to get sponsors. Yes. (laughs) Make it work. So then what would you say the conclusion of what, what did we learn here in this podcast today? Um, spend less money, hire less people, and make sure you have passion. Which is not precisely what the writer's strike is. But no, but <laughs> my point still stands. Like, point still stands. <laughs> you, should have, you shouldn't be spending so much on movies, and there shouldn't be so many filters. And from between the writer and the actual end product, there should be less barriers in between it. Kind of like how an author only really has one barrier, maybe two, to the actual editor. Yeah. Editor, maybe there's another layer. There's a second editor. Who knows? Or your alpha readers. If I let you edit my book, you would probably send it back. It would be a different book. Like you just write your own book over everything I wrote. Yeah. Like this is better. But Rich, that's, that's not my book anymore. And it would be better. 
All right. Thanks for another <laughs> Tutor Ramble episode, everybody. Uh, oh, yeah. Writing challenge is happening. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I Today is actually the first day of the writing challenge when, when we're uploaded, recording yeah. and all that. So after this, we're gonna go write. I'm, write, I'm writing my 500 words. We're going to have the fireplace. Is oh, it, yeah. Okay. We don't have an actual fireplace. It's like a TV yeah. YouTube video of a fireplace with crackling noises, but we're going to go do that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. All right. I hope you enjoy this episode. We're going to come back next week with probably a review, probably something else. We made this one different so that we could just conversate. I hope yeah. you liked it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, y'all. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.